Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. Welcome back to another episode of the Western Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Krebs, and I have Weston Paul with Mountain Tough Fitness in the studio today. Well, he's in his studio, I'm in my studio, but we're going to do a podcast because it's that time of the year to start really thinking about the fall. As crazy as that sounds, it's time to start getting in shape, getting some weight on the pack and getting ready for another season out west and with that how are you doing today weston i'm doing well thanks for having me on brian yeah thanks to your audience for listening as well it's fun to just make these connections to wherever we are geographically it's like yeah let's let's have a conversation so thanks to the times we're in and being able to do this yeah i'm not the the podcast is doing incredibly well but we're not to the point where we're flying guests in for episodes yet you know this isn't rogan um and so it's great to be able to just hop on a call like like i just mentioned i'm heading to canada in four hours so how would that work if we had a person podcast today it's like thanks now hit the road i gotta leave (laughs) no it's all it's all it would be fun to fly people in and do that too but i'm like geez who has the time (laughs) comes down to it Yeah, the time. I mean, that would be hours and hours to like organize travel, pick them up from the airport. Then you're probably going to do something. You know, yep. you're not just going to fly in for an hour and fly out. So you're like, oh, now I got to go to dinner. And <laughs> sure, if this was a full time gig, that'd be great. But for very few of us, talking is our full time gig. Yeah, definitely. So. so where are where are you guys located, by the way? We're located in Bozeman, Montana, so Southwest Montana. Um, that's our headquarters for Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Um, yeah, been out, been out here. Mountain Tough started in 2016, and yeah, Dustin, who founded it, he's he went to college here, grew up in Montana, and shoot, I've been here. Well, I went to college in Montana too in 2001, date myself here, and then up to Bozeman in 2005. So yeah, yeah. Oh wow, cool. just in the kind of in the heart of there's. It seems like there's two cities where like all western industry is in and it's either salt lake city utah or bozeman montana bozeman definitely became a hub but salt lake city is where is is the true hub like an outdoor industry in general is like salt lake city then bozeman's like the miniature version of that i would say um but yeah just not not miniature very very long though i mean bozeman is i mean i feel like you guys are always on like the fastest growing cities in america list we are like where i live in belgrade which is just outside of bozeman bozeman it's like it is the fastest growing right now per per some of those reports that are out there but it's still like it's still small 
in the re relative scheme. It's like Bozeman itself is 50,000 people pretty much, but then the, the surrounding valley is like 100,000 maybe, but there's not yeah. like a lot of infrastructure here to honestly support a lot of people. It's like very, you know, construction, farm, ranch, ag, um, and then a bit of tourism, but it's like, yeah, o overall, it's hard to support a large population here. It's going to take a lot of time before that happens, but, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. 10% a year of a hundred thousand is much different than like 1% of It's LA. a lot different. Yeah. When you look at like Salt Lake or yeah, other places too. Um, so, so I always like to preface that I'm like, yeah, it's growing like a lot of places, you know, too, it's like, there's a lot of wonderful places wherever you are, there's some beauty and where you're at. And so embrace that. And then people find out about that and they want to move and you're like, well, I can't fault you for that. Like I moved here. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny because people love, like, I would love to live in Bozeman. It would be great. You got everything in your back door, but fishing would probably be a little bit worse than Minnesota. Yeah. But that's, they're still fishing. And the, the, I mean, the, like the fly fishing would be exponentially better. Yeah. Yep. And so we're just like open water fishermen. And so, but other than that, like for hunting, like what a better place to live than Southwest Montana, because then you have not only like the state with probably the most access for a hunter mm -hmm. in terms of season length, species, distribution, landscape types, Public. But also you're right next to Wyoming and Idaho and not too far away from Colorado. Mm -hmm. And those are like the three options for like out of state hunts yeah. is well, including Montana, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, and Colorado are like the four core out of state options. Cause the rest of them usually have some type of point game that mm -hmm. takes so long to drop. Yep. So yep. It's yeah. It's like, I mean, it's the heart of it, like the greater yellow eco, greater Yellowstone ecosystem, like Yellowstone National Park and everything that that feeds. It's pretty incredible, too. And it's this has been going on. This has been going on since the dawn of time. Like when you think like the elk herds moving through and migrating here and there. Yes, we as people have gotten in the way of them, too, by putting up fences and, you know, all that sort of stuff and putting pressure on them. But that is happening like. Oh, it's been several years ago, but my buddy and I were on a we're on a backcountry elk trip. We were packing up our camp one morning, rolling up. I was rolling up the tent. He was rolling up his sleeping bag, like literally, like side by side. We're above Timberline, right? And we had this big rainstorm the night before, and I'm like thunder and lightning and just like crazy downpour, just water rushing everywhere. And where we had set our tent up was good, but on either side of it, the water was just flowing and we're roll, I'm rolling up the tent. He's rolling up his sleeping bag and he reaches down like right in between us and he picks up an arrowhead. And this is like way up in the mountains. It is so cool. I'm like, dude, this, we're up here archery hunting and this has been going on for a very, very long time. People have been up here archery hunting. It was, it's super, super special. So that is so cool. Yeah. My brother's, I would say it's probably his number one bucket list item at this point is to find an arrowhead, like his outdoor bucket list, obviously like yeah. watch my kids grow up and be successful. Okay. Yeah. But like when it comes to hunting and fishing, he, I, he, like putting that up there would be very, that's very high on his list um, is finding an arrowhead. And so I, that I once 
ordered a bag of flake arrowheads from Amazon <laughs> and I was going to bring them out to our archery camp and just give them to everybody in our team and just be like, Hey, anytime you stop for lunch, just throw a couple out yes. and wait until he finds them. And so he's like, finds like five or six of them over the course of the week. And like, this is the best trip ever. And then driving back, I'd have him like, Hey, can you reach in the glove box and get me a napkin? And he finds like the entire bag of like Amazon arrowheads. <laughs> That's amazing. Hey, it's hope. So, it's hope. <laughs> they didn't show up in time. I ordered them like the day before we left and they didn't oh, show up gosh. in time. So, yeah. Now he probably heard the story that I, my plans and now it won't work. But ah, that's, that's awesome. Fun. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would be cool. But yeah, speaking of like the time that it's been through, have you found a lot of seashells up in places where, yeah. that are a long ways away from the oh, ocean? I, like, I'm, I'm a. <laughs> I'm not so much like a geology geek, but I love, I love picking up rocks. And it's funny. I got two boys as well. And they're like, like our house, like the window wells are like lined with rocks that we pick up from here, there and everywhere. And whenever I'm up high, I'm always looking for some sort of fossil or (laughs) something. And I end up like my pockets are always full, especially coming back in archery season, especially um, bringing stuff back. And my boys are the same way. We're like constantly picking up stuff. So it's just, it's fun to be like, no way. This was covered in water way up here, you know? Um, yeah. I've always was for a long time. I was like, is this because this used to be covered in water or are birds finding these in like streams and lakes nearby yeah. and then bringing these up here? And yeah. I'm like, I don't know which seems more realistic. Cause I, some places you go, you see a lot of a lot of them. Yeah. Like I, I feel covered in water. And like I said, I'm not a geology guy, but one of my good buddies, um, he's like mid sixties. He's a geology professor and, uh, we elk hunt together every year, archery elk hunt, um, too. And he is like over time shared with me a lot of like the terrain and what's conducive to elk habitat too, especially during the rut. And a lot of this stuff too, that we're in these big valleys. So if you haven't come out West to hunt um, or you're thinking of coming out West to hunt, one of the coolest things in my opinion is when you get up high is just looking out into these big valleys that are out there. Then they look like, like deserts. They look like they're completely flat, you know, there's grass and stuff, but then it'll go into a river bottom. But you have to think like, however long ago, that was all a big old glacier. And the glacier was moving through and the river was like a hundred times as big or massive. Like we can't fathom it. Like you're not going from one side of the river to the other, but all of this, the glaciers formed all of the wonderful elk hunting ground, like these moraines and where it rolls and it's like all the terrain features, you know, they want some flat ground. They want to have um, a little protection. And so all of those geologic pieces like come into play when you're up there elk hunting and it totally makes sense when you think about it you're like oh like people had to travel across the ice you know and we're killing whatever woolly mammoths let's say i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna butcher it because i'm not like i never took geology i just buddies with this geology professor um but i'm like it it absolutely makes sense and when you look out and you're like whoa like this has been going on for a very very long time i'm up here now in these mountains and these elk love this habitat because those glaciers pushed in the right type of soil. It produces like really, really good fruitful crop. So when it comes to the grasses and stuff that elk are eating up there, up high, 
it's like they don't even need to leave some of these little places. Um, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's when you find a, a shell or some sort of fossil. And you're like, oh, it's up. This is the right place to be. This is that. This is definitely the right place to be when it comes to, especially hunting elk in the rut. So, anyway. Oh yeah, it <laughs> is super cool to think back. I mean, so I grew up in central Minnesota in the Lake Country, mm-hmm. and we grew up on a lake. And not, I'd say like five years ago, one of my one of the neighbor friends that also grew up on the lake. You know, his dad lived on the lake. Now he lives on the lake. He found he was fishing one day in his pontoon or just cruising. I can't remember which, but. He looks down, he's like, man, that really looks like an elk antler, but it can't be like, this is central Minnesota. Yeah. But he's like, that stick looks so close to an elk antler. I'm going to pick it up. And sure enough, he picks it up and then there's another one right next to it. And he, no he picks them up and like, these are elk antlers. Like the Come tips, on. the tips were degraded down. I'd say each tine was like the top half, the ivories part of it was all yeah. gone, but the rest of it was like petrified. And it's oh, perfect. I mean, it's like base, two fronts, a third, a fourth, and a fifth. Like, there's no denying. And then there's a left and a right. Like, there's no denying that these yeah. are elk antlers. Some people are like, oh, those look like sticks. It's like, you don't even know what you're talking about if you think those are sticks. Oh, man. And so that fired off all kinds of questions. Like, how long have they been there? And so it's like, well, the elk haven't been here for 400 years or mm-hmm. whatever since the settlers came across the West because they pushed all the elk out. And, yep. you know, they yep. used to love this type of the prairie and now they're out in the mountains because of the human pressure Mm -hmm. but it's so cool to think about like those elk antlers just sitting in the bottom of that lake for just preserved maybe thousands of years yeah 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 preserved i'm like that's true too i was like yeah they were a prairie animal primarily too and i'm like you get to read in some of that stuff some of that some of that historical like accounts and everything you're like man yeah all the way from Minnesota, like however far the elk herds went, like our pressure just pushed them and pushed them. Now they're in the mountains of Southwest Montana. <laughs> so, well, well, that's I, a great transition yeah. because you wouldn't need to be mountain tough and in shape if they were still a prairie animal. Like you I'm do like you now you that would, they're a mountain animal. <laughs> you have to walk. I'm like I'm I'm confident in that. I I grew up in South Dakota and um, and uh, some of my good friends are. Um, had a ranch on Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. And it was crazy because some of the, not wild horses, but there were guys that would walk down um, horses. They would just keep them off of water, um, Lakota guys. And they would just keep them off of water and they'd keep pushing them, keep pushing them. Eventually that horse would give up and they'd, they'd put a halter on it and bring it home and it, you know, be theirs. And I, I'd heard that a lot too with wild horses. And when you think about that with elk, if you were on the prairie, it's like you could be successful, of course, in an ambush, but you could also put the pressure on them and just keep them off and keep them off and keep them off. And eventually, so there's no fences. I'm like, you just walk a long ways when it comes down to yeah. it. I was like, we're walking, we're walking uphill now, but you'd still be walking a long ways. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if they didn't ever accustom to human pressure and roads, it would be a lot like antelope hunting. Where yeah. you, you know, typically a lot of places in America, you spend a a majority of your time antelope hunting, driving and scouting. Right. Like you drive right. to a knob, walk a hundred yards, glass, drive to the next one. And so if that was elk hunting, I mean, that would, you would still want to be like in yeah. good shape. That's yeah. never going to hurt you, but it, 
but it, it's definitely keeping you uh, you guys in business and, and having some good job security now that they are in the mountains because it's drastically different. Like you said, we got to climb uphill to find them, and then we got to carry them downhill. To and we got to descend. Totally, totally. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's that's the thing. Like that uphill travel now that we do, um, and that you know I love, and that people are looking to get that experience and gain that experience. You come out west you hunt, you know, you're looking forward to it. You kind of know what to expect though, because you've done it for a while. If you hadn't done it, it's like, it takes a few seasons to kind of go, Oh, like I need to be a little more prepared in this area. Right. Um, yeah, especially I, I believe rifle hunting can really be what you make it. Mm -hmm. And if the better the shape you're in, great, because there's going to be times where you need to boot scoot and boogie over to the next ridge. Yep. But where it becomes immediately obvious is archery hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can you can spend all the time in the world getting to the spot, listening to the bugles, not breaking a sweat. But what happens is you start your calling setup and now he's gonna come in a hundred yards above you yep. trying to catch the thermals and now you need to run uphill hundred and fifty yep. yards. Yep. And that a lot of people will be like, Oh, it's only hundred and fifty yards. I run hundred and fifty yards all the time. It's like well, sure enough, I'm sure you do. Yep. Try it uphill and then you try it in black timber or deadfall, even worse. Yep. And see how long you last. Because we did that last fall. Yeah. Exact situation. We had a we fired off a bugle. We heard a response and we're like, wow, that was really close. Like 300 yards. Like, mm -hmm. let's make a plane. Like, the, what, you, you're probably the same. When you hear that 300 yard bugle, you pull out your map first. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, it's almost weird. It's like there's an elk right there and you don't even move. You just pull out your map and you're starting yeah. to look like, let's make a plan. Well, we did that. And then he bugles again at like 150. And we're like, oh shit. He's moving. This bull's coming to us. And this was, there's only 10 seconds in between bugles. Yeah. Like yeah. He's, he's running. And so, and he's going to come in like 80 yards above us. And so mm -hmm. me and my brother take off. Like we both know right away, uphill thermals, we got to get higher. Yep. We take off, go about 10 feet, hit deadfall. We both trip, like, instantly all momentum stopped. And now we're pinned. Like, the first cow is coming over the ridge, and we didn't make it anywhere. <laughs> oh. Yeah, and that that's that moment, too. And and looking forward to that moment, there's so much anticipation. And when it doesn't happen, I'm like, you could go the rest of the trip and not have that circumstance arise again right like like that could be your one shot and so to be to make the most of it in every situation you know the the physical piece definitely comes into play um you know you you're playing it smart but your ability to navigate that quickly and then probably you know take your backpack if it's 300 yards i'm like i take my backpack with me because i'm like I, I don't know what's going to happen because I may go over the next roller and then up the next one. And then pretty soon I'm, you know, I've left my backpack. So I'm like, I'm loaded. I'm going up yeah. and that stuff. And I want to travel that quickly. So I have never once advocated for dropping your pack. I don't yeah. see a situation where you need to drop your pack. Right. And it's exactly what you said. It's like, it's either so close that it's like, I will never forget where my pack is. Well, it's like, if it's that close, just keep it yeah, up totally <laughs> and then it's like 300 yards like oh i can do it a lot faster without my pack true but you're probably if you're in the speed game you're probably mm -hmm. not taking the time to drop a pin where your pack mm -hmm. is like you said things happen like rarely does the first instance of a setup play out you usually got to move you got to work the bull a little bit all of a sudden you're like sometimes you're four hours into this yes. herd 
and you're a mile away. Yep. Yep. I'm like, I love, I love that like diagonal travel. I love just pissing those, especially those herd bulls off. Like, I'm like, oh, I like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm going to put enough pressure on you. Uh, and and yeah. you travel so far in that. Cause I'm like, that's the, that's what lights me up is I'm like, I'm out there and I'm just like bloodthirsty, you know, I'm like, this is what we were meant to do. Like we're supposed to do this. Right. So I'm just going and going and going. I'm like, I, I don't like to have to think about, yeah, my gear or my fitness. I just want to think about killing that bull. Like that's my ultimate goal. So, well, a lot of people, oh, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say a lot of people. I feel like it's very easy to think, oh, I can handle that situation and come up with a good game plan and do all this, you know, mental calculating of where I need to be, what the setup needs to be, what the bull's saying. Yep. And it's like, yeah, you probably can when you're like, when I'm sitting here talking to you, it all makes perfect sense. Yep. But when I just got done running that 150 yards uphill, like you just, it's, it's so crazy to see how long it takes you to like think through a situation oh. when you can't breathe. Big time, big time. Yeah. The, it's oxygen to your brain, you know, like in your yeah. muscles trying to get it. So your lungs are pumping and ultimately like you end up in a, yeah, a brain fog, decision fatigue, like whatever it may be, um, when you want to be sharp in that situation, you want to be able to tap into those plays that you've played out in your head or from videos that you watched or stories that you've heard, like you want to be able to tap into that and say like, this is my move. You like you saying, I know I need to get higher because this bull's coming in. I don't want him to catch my thermal. Like where's the edge of this next ridge so that my thermals are going up and off of it so that I can get there and then catch him while he's looking down, you know, I'm like, those, those are the things, I don't know, you geek out on it. It's plays in a playbook when it comes down to it. Um, if you're, if you're playing football, you want to be able to execute on those plays and you want to have, have good oxygen to your brain too. So, yeah. 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 I wanted to ask you quick, when you said you were like, you're talking about paralleling a herd or a lot of people call it dog in a herd, right? Yep. You get a herd, you can, if, if you're in the middle of the rut, it's, a lot of times it's pretty easy to keep tabs on a herd, mm -hmm. right? They're pretty loud. The cows are loud. The bulls bugling. He might be chuckling and trying to keep the herd together. If there's satellite bulls around all of a sudden yeah. like chaos kicks off, like it's not, if you're close, it's easy to like hear them. But my question was how fast when you're doing that, how mm -hmm. fast do you feel like that average herd is moving? Like for you to keep up at that parallel pace, yeah. In like terms of like human speed, because it's not a nice, slow, steady sneak no. for a human. It's like you got a boogie. Like you're, yeah, you're... like every every elk step, every step that they're gonna take in their stride is what like three or four times hours. Like it's so much faster in their leisurely walking pace. And you think a bull picking up a couple cows, a lead cow out front, and a herd of however many, even if it's you know ten head. Um, they're going to move so much faster than you think they're going to move. Like I, I, I've, I've watched like my father-in-law, like when I started archery hunting, he came out to Montana cause he'd hunted, he's from Michigan and he's hunted Colorado for forever and big white tail guy and had a ton of elk experience. So I learned a lot from him and we watched this bull, beautiful bull, um, with his herd come up over a ridge and we, we glassed him and he was, yeah, still like burned in my memory. Just beautiful, beautiful bull. Um, and he picked his cows and pushed them. And there were two guys behind 
they actually dropped their packs and they boogied after this this bull and you could see them they were almost running these two guys after this this herd and this herd never spooked these guys did a good job my father-in-law looked right at him and he's like they're never going to catch up to him you know and that's the truth like you're not going to catch up with them necessarily but you're going to stay on them until they go and bed down because that's when your opportunity to really piss that that herd bull off like comes up so your ability to move with them is almost it's not a jogging pace but it's pretty dang brisk to be able to keep up and know where they're going to go and then set up on them and let alone if you get an opportunity that that bull comes and picks a cow up or you can have a roller or something and you can do that like one lost cow like what one behind the herd that he's going to come up over that roller and he's going to pick her up you'll be right there that that situation is like i said not a it's not a sprint but it's a pretty brisk walk and typically you're going to be running at a diagonal so you're going to be gaining a little bit of elevation most of the time in my experience you're going to be gaining a little bit of elevation kind of paralleling them so so you have to factor in that uphill travel so you're going to be pretty winded when you're just trying to to make that move and keep up on that that parallel that's that's my experience i'm like and i like to be able to move in that because i like to be aggressive i'm not a probably too aggressive sometimes um you know i'm not a like sit back and wait all day um i should probably be a little bit more patient maybe not um put as much pressure but i've had good success too in putting that you know getting that bull all pissed off you hear it you'll hear a lot of guys talk about it too you know the bar fight scenario that that scenario does come up and it does work so yeah. yeah, I mean, if it's not broke, don't fix it by any well, means. And it sounds well, like it's not broke. But that's exactly <laughs> what I wanted to talk about because there's, like you, you kind of alluded to, there's a lot of different ways you can go about this. Mm -hmm. You can, I mean, the most passive way that arguably has some pretty good success rates is sitting yeah. wallow, water, um, great funnels and and saddles like to the point of like a tree stand like i'm committed to this tree yes and there's yep. a lot of people that have great success that would say that's the most passive option mm -hmm. and then you get on the other side which is probably there's probably even room on the other side of what you do mm -hmm. on the aggressive side you know you, t you hear people like Corey jacobson it's like i just run ridges and bugle my head off until someone wants to play and i know i run by a lot of elk every day but i yep. don't care i just want the one that's pissed off today and that's about as aggressive as you can get or like bombing in on a herd like i know this herd's bedded in here i'm gonna get into like 50 yards yep. i might spook them but if i don't it's gonna if be magic if i play the wind correctly if i play my thermals correctly and it does align i'm like you can you can sit there for an afternoon on a herd like that and you can wait yeah. until that bull comes up and does his circle you know quietly um because that'll work too but i'm like yeah i i tend i'm probably to a fault i'm like i'm it's just part of my personality i'm like i love to cover country i love to <laughs> i love to travel yeah. I'm, I'm totally on that level with Corey jacobson i'm like let's go like let's go let's go find another one so <laughs> Yeah. And I think, but that's what makes it, that's what makes it September in a way is that moving and getting close. Like that's when you hit the adrenaline. Yeah. That's when, when you're dogging herds and you're getting in tight, that's when, that's when all the magic that people talk about, that's when it happens. The magic isn't when a lone satellite comes in for a drink of water and you're yeah. sitting in a tree stand. Like that's super cool. And yep. I wouldn't turn that down. I mean, we've brought tree stands. It's like, 
it's supposed to be super hot. If they're not talking, like we mm-hmm. might have to resort to this because we got one week to do. And it. you know but that would, too. I'm like, that's yeah. yeah, that's in your quiver. I'm like, it works for sure. Yeah. 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 If you got one week to do it, you got to play by the Elks game. If you live in Bozeman like yourself, obviously you get more time. You get to, you get to kind of pick and choose a little bit. You still probably have a job and you got to work, but we would all prefer that method. And the point that I want to get to is that to do that method, to get into that magic, you got to move, you got to be able to move. You got to be able to, you got to be able to, I don't know what you would call it. Like you said, speed walk uphill Mm -hmm. for long periods of time. Cause it could be, miles yeah we've seen miles of a herd moving from their their feed or whatever their their early morning spot is to their bedding area Mm -hmm. and you can't it's easy to hear them when you're close it's not super easy to know where the herd went once they start getting out a quarter half depending on the terrain when they start getting that far away all of a sudden you don't know where they went did they stop did they keep going are they bedded are they still up on their feet you got to be kind of tight to them. So you got to at least try to keep up with them and then yep. you're moving. Yeah. 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 I mean that, that piece, I mean, just navigating to the country that you want to be in so that you can set up and understand their patterns and say, you know, you get a one week hunt, like you're going to want to get into that space and it's going to be high, high elevation. Like you're going to be up there. Um, don't be concerned about the elevation be concerned about your ability to get to that place and then have the energy to go and and finish with like a really really good hunt because just getting to the place that you want to glass from and understand where they're at you know sometimes you're going in blind maybe you got some beta from some buddies maybe you've done it a year before but there's always these little factors that come into play but get there and feel good and be then use all that energy that you have to focus on the hunt once you're there, you know, what, regardless, I mean, if you still have to huff a tree stand up and get it in there, like use as little amount of time as possible, do it as fast as you can, right. Um, get it in there and then maximize your hunt because like you want it, you want to spend that time. You want to be able to have those encounters and it takes a lot of those encounters to, to seal the deal. So. Yeah. I remember the first years that I was elk hunting, and really the first year we were up in Northwest Montana mm-hmm. in some gnarly country. Thick. And I remember it feels weird because I lived in Fargo at the time. And so you're driving across like the most boring, flattest state in the union with like the least to look at. Like it's on par with Western Kansas. Yeah. There's nothing. <laughs> and so it's flat and then you get into the Badlands and then you get into Eastern Montana and there's some rolling hills and some breaks and you're like, man, I'm so excited. Like this is going to be awesome. And then you get into like, like big timber, Bozeman, and you're starting to see foothills and black timber. And you're like, man, I can just see a herd of elk walk, you know, that's going to be perfect. Well, then you start getting like past Helena and Missoula and you're like, "Uh oh, this is starting to look kind of steep. Yeah. Like, I hope it goes back to that other stuff. (laughs) And it never does. No, it doesn't. And so you get there and it's just steep. And I remember the first couple of years. I always thought like, oh my, the hard part was going to be getting where we wanted to go, mm-hmm. right? It's going to be getting up there and it's going to be getting to that ridge. Like that's the work. Yeah. Well, the more I do it every year, the more I feel like that doesn't even count as work because the real work, I mean, you can do that as slow as you want. You yep. could start at yep. 3 a.m., 4 a.m. and spend three hours, take lots of breaks, hardly break a sweat, climb all this elevation, get where you want to be at sunup. And that's not, that's fine. You can do that. But the real work starts 
when you're starting to work on elk because you're on their timeline. Yeah. And that's when you got to be able to run. That's when you got to be able to, you know, manage your breathing, try to keep your heart rate under control. Know when that you need a break, know when you need to push. That's when you that's when the real work starts and it took me a couple of years to think that way. Yeah. To think like, yeah. no, climbing the mountain's not the hard part. The hard part's going to be when we find the elk. That's totally. that's what you need to train yep. for. And it kind of just shifted your perspective or it shifted my perspective on like, what is a long ways? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the spot we went to last year, we would start at the bottom. We would park on the Creek and we'd go all the way up to the peak mm -hmm. and all the way back down hunting. And it's like, that's no big deal. Yeah. Like yeah. just a hike. I mean, we do it slow. We hunt our way in, hunt our way out and, and we get into elk, but you know, we're not looking for ways to like, how do we drive all the way up to the top? type of right. thing because you just right. shift your perspective a little bit like you plan on it's just it seems like it's just your mindset like if you yep. if your mindset's like this isn't going to be that bad we're just going to do it and then we're going to get where we want to be and then we're going to hunt and that's going to be the part where we need to go hard it seems like that was the big difference and it made all the difference in the world yeah yeah i i love that too i'm like just having that perspective flipping that switch like you said too saying like yeah i can go that distance um, I can get up a little bit earlier. A big piece for me is having the energy in the tank to do that day in and day out. Because even a 4 a.m. start, I'm like, if you hunt all day in archery season, you know, you're going to be back to camp by nine, honestly, have a little dinner, go to sleep, wake up again at 3.30, have some breakfast and then start hiking like that energy in the tank is, is really like to maximize those days. That's important to me. I'm like to get up and be like, all right, we got to go again and not be like, oh, I'm a little tired. It wasn't so good yesterday. So I'm just going to sleep for another hour. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like I'm, I'm here on this hunt. Like I got this time. Um, even though I live here, it's still, your time is precious. Like I don't get as many days as, you know, a lot of people think too, it's like, yeah, you live there. You could go all the time. I'm like, no, I do have to work. I have family. Like we got a lot of activities going on. I'm like, shoot, I want to maximize those days. So when it comes to fitness, flipping that perspective, like you're saying is really awesome. Uh, I'll always add to just make sure that your training is conducive to you having the energy to get up and do it again. And that's like your, your routine. Like what do you do day in and day out in your normal life? that lends itself to your hunting scenario. And that's like getting up in the morning, getting your quiet time in, getting your workout in, be it having energy for your family, that sort of stuff. All of that pays dividends when you go out there and have that hunt too, you know? Like you, you'll see the correlation like from day in and day out life to what you do on that hunt. So I love that. Yeah, that's something I need to get better at is like when I when it's a hunting day, I have no issue getting out of bed. Right. Yeah. There is a point, like you mentioned, when it you're doing it for seven, eight days in a row where it starts to wane on you. Mm -hmm. And so we are huge advocates for that midday nap. Yes. You know, oh, when there's nothing the going tank. on at 12 o'clock, <laughs> like get some sleep in. Uh, we've been burned a couple times, me and my brother last fall. We're both sleeping at the same time and we got dive bombed by a cow and a calf totally. like 20 yards. <laughs> and so we're like, shoot, we should have, we should have kind of planned better. You That's know, cause I would have shot a cow for sure. Yep. Um, yep. So then we started putting the decoy out. 
for our midday naps and trying not to sleep at the same time. But, but that's a big one is get that midday nap because you're right. Like, I don't know what it is because like you look at the globe, like the time zone, it's different for us, Mm -hmm. but it shouldn't, you wouldn't think like the days are longer. So I don't know if it's increased elevation that obviously does increase your day length Mm -hmm. or it's just, you're out doors all day when very few of us are outdoors all day in our, in our, daily life even if you work outside that's maybe eight to five then you go home and you're inside eating dinner and stuff and you kind of forget about those other five hours of daylight yeah but it's like a long day when Big you're day. like you said mm-hmm. a couple days before and or a couple hours before and a couple hours after daylight very easily i mean you could hunt till dusk and now it's yeah. an hour and a half back to camp yep yeah 100 yeah. i'm like i totally i'm like that's put it back in the tank because in in our normal life the majority of the year, how often, especially with family and that sort of stuff, how often do you get to take a nap? You know, yeah, like that's I never take a nap. I look forward to an archery season more than more than a lot of things is like a ridgeline nap. Um, hopefully in the sun, hopefully, you know, but or the shade, depending on in the shade. In the shade, I'm like, like, we need to find some shade. Yeah, uh, they're snowing, but but yeah, to to do that and power up and just look at that so that you do have the energy to go into the next day. Because even even the factors that you don't take into consideration sometimes is like a quiet day, not seeing any animals, you know, like um, whiffing a shot or blowing a scenario will take energy at, like from you. And then you yeah. bring that into the next day. It's like, no, I got to reset. So make sure and get my, make sure and, you know, get as good a sleep as I can, good food, take that nap and, and, come into the next day as ready for it as day one because that last day even on some of these hunts and i and i've watched it a lot i'm like and i've even you know been i've fallen prey to like being defeated like everybody does you know like Mm -hmm. the majority of the time you're going to be um but having that energy to like to go into the hunt on the last day the same as the first is something that you'll always always look back on and be like man i'm glad i did that like you'll, you'll never right it. Yeah. yeah well it's kind of i would love to see some good data on what day of a what day of the planned hunt mm-hmm. did people kill on i would say it's it would be very hard for locals that just like hunt after work yeah. or hunt on the weekends because they plan the whole season yeah but for someone traveling for their hunt we got nine days i would say I would say that bell curve probably peaks like maybe last day or the day before, like last full day of hunting. Cause it, you get to a new spot. It's going to take you a couple of days just to figure out where the elk are. Then it's going to take you a couple of days to figure out that part of the mountain. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully you put it together. And it usually is like the last day. Now when I say good data, it's like, if I'm hunting by myself, I, sh- you know, I shot a bull in Colorado on a solo hunt. Well, I shot him on the last day. Cause I left the day after that, yeah. you know, but it was like day five of a seven day season. You know, I shot him on day five. It was towards the end. And like you said, you got to have that energy towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, perfect example. I think it was last podcast or the podcast before this one. I had my buddy Bryce Bowser on. We did a Montana mule deer hunt and we came down to the final hours of yeah. our planned hunt. Yeah. And we doubled up in the final hours. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was like long and we were not seeing like everyone. I dream of having a mule deer hunt one day where I get to pick and choose my buck. <laughs> I've never had that. Every mule deer hunt I've ever been on, I have shot the first legal buck I've seen. 
and it's usually not like right out of the gate opening day. It's like, this was the only legal buck I saw, or it's like the only one on public or, you know, and it all turned every one of them. It happened to be the biggest buck I saw because it was basically the only buck I saw. And I'm dreaming of that hunt where you get to look at some and be like, nah, maybe not that one. Not yet. I'll remember where he is. I'll come back if I need to. I'm okay walking away from him. Yeah. Right. I dream of that. And I never had it. But this one was especially brutal because we weren't even seeing does. We weren't seeing little deer. Yeah. So finally, last day, he shoots one right away in the morning. We go get lunch, come back. I see we see one in a great spot to stock. I shoot him. Yeah. We were off the mountain, both animals quartered and packed out to the truck. I mean, it's Southeast Montana. It's not that big of a pack. Yeah, we're still traveling. But we're, yeah. we're done at 3 p.m. And we went to the bar for lunch to get yeah. a burger. So <laughs> that's amazing. It was, yeah, that last day. I mean, we woke up earlier and earlier every day because we yeah. were finding that we needed to travel farther and farther to find deer. And yeah. so that last day was the longest day. We woke up at, you know, two hours earlier than we did the first day. Mm-hmm. And then, I, I don't know if this is wise or not. We packed out two deer and then we drove straight home through the night. I mean, yeah. we, we got to camp. We got camp broken down about sunset and we got to my house at 4 a.m. Dude. So, I, I mean, that's that too is running. Like, that's the endorphin hit that you get from something like that. But being able to go into the last day and even get up earlier on the last day, that's that's something that's that makes a difference in a successful hunt regardless of if you harvested anything because i'm like i'll give everyone credit for going home empty-handed because that's a big thing there's a lot of lessons in going home empty-handed but knowing that you didn't give up in any way shape or form is really really valuable because you'll carry that you'll carry that into the rest of your life the next year and you won't beat yourself up because that's what happens when you don't get up early like yeah you're like oh why did i do that like why did i do that and then you then you're talking to yourself and that's not a good situation either. Just like, right. Just be conscious of it and try to make an effort to be like, yep, I'm going to make sure. And I'm going to put this effort into it. And my input is my output, right? My input is my output. And so even if you don't harvest anything, I'm like, just enjoy the fact that you are out there. You got to be outside all day long. You got to spend time maybe with somebody, maybe solo, whatever it may be. And, um, that's hunting people will say all the time too it's like if you don't kill something like what's the point i'm like oh, shoot no man i'm like we we're, we're blessed to be out there we're blessed to be able to get to do this and take that time and right. um, you'll learn more from not harvesting anything than you will harvesting something anyway so yeah yeah i like that i've always wanted to to make a shirt that says something along the lines of it's not going to be tougher than regret or nothing hurts yeah. as much as regret. Totally. And I, I like to wear shirts that I'm really trying to tell myself that. Yeah. And by wearing that shirt and showing everybody like, Hey, I'm the guy that's wearing this shirt. I feel like just by wearing that shirt, it holds me accountable because people are like, you just quit on yourself in the gym yet. You're wearing the shirt that says never give up or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you yeah. can't, when you're wearing that shirt, you can't give up because every, you know, you can't be a hypocrite. And so that's why I've always wanted to wear a shirt like that because it's true. Like when you sleep in on the last day and you're like, you know what, let's just go home. Yeah. Like instead of driving past all these little no name towns in North Dakota, talking about how great that last shot was and how we got to on the last day, you're just thinking about that last day. You're thinking like, you know, and if you, and if you, if you run it down to the ninth inning and you don't, and you don't 
end up bringing anything home, which we've done many times. Yep. We've done both. I've we've yep. we've gone home early. We retired, weren't seeing stuff. Weather's rolling in. That sucks, empty-handed. And then we've had the other side where we hunt it to the last inning, and about fifty percent of the time we end up we end up hitting a home run in the last inning. And the other fifty percent of the time, you're just so satisfied that you you gave it your all. Like there's no question, I left it all out there on that mountain. And yeah. my cell phone. You know, sometimes I lose my phone on these hunts. Too, yeah, <laughs> so I really do leave it all out on the mountain. Um, uh, if anyone hunts in Southwest Montana and finds a Galaxy uh, a Samsung phone, that was mine. Okay, <laughs> somebody, <laughs> somebody probably will, but a good good hunting spot. So <laughs> yeah, good hunting spot. You got all my pins. Lucky you. Um, oh, awesome. But yeah, so I wanted to kind of talk about because that's what we've been talking about really is mental toughness. Yep. I think that can be independent. There's people, I've seen people that have enough mental toughness apparently to overcome all of their physical preparedness. Yes. Yes. And it's amazing. And it's like, man, what if you were in amazing shape? Like you would be unstoppable. You'd be riding the herd bull down the mountain, gathering the cows, (laughs) you know, like, and then there's, there's people that have incredible physical fitness, yet the mental toughness just isn't there. You, you really need both. You, I think you can make it farther on mental toughness than you can on physical toughness. Yep. If you have both, that's obviously great. And I think a lot of times your physical toughness is like the first to go. And then that causes the mental toughness to come with it. Almost like if your feet get cold, your whole body's going to be cold. If you can just keep your feet warm, you'll be fine. Totally. No, that's a, that's a great analogy too. Cause it's a, it's definitely a blend. Like we're, we're really big at mountain tough. We're, we're really big on the mental toughness piece just because we know that that produces really great results whether it's in the field hunting day in and day out in your life. We see it a lot with some of the, the military groups too that we work with. You know, their success is directly correlated to their mental fortitude um, and being able to execute on a mission. And so taking that and putting our own spin on it, yeah, through fitness, we can help reiterate or even like revive some of that mental toughness because arguably everyone has it. It's just how do you tap into it? And so, or how do you retrain that mental toughness too? So the combination is really, really valuable, both the fitness piece plus the mental toughness. I'm like, we do some of the stuff is just like, if you look back to middle school days, you know, I'm 40. So we were doing a lot of wall sits when we were in middle school, grade school, right? Like, like, um, we do that in some of our training programs, like you'll be doing wall sits again. And if you think back, it's like, man, that was good for me. I didn't realize it at the time when I was a kid, but here I am as an adult. And these are the things that I just needed. I just needed to light that fire underneath myself again. Um, and now that I can comprehend it as an adult, I need to be able to take these steps and put this into place because it will, it will 100% pay off in the field, but it'll pay off more in your, in your day-to-day life for sure. So. Oh yeah. I definitely think mental toughness is like a, it's like a, it's a spectrum not to use a buzzword, but it is a spectrum, but it's, it's not like left, right, center. It's like base and up from there. Like everyone's somewhere. And I would say almost everyone's above zero, right? 
Absolutely. Like you're somewhere. You might not be like Cameron Haynes mental tough and be able to do a 240-mile foot race in yeah. three days. And that's fine. But you're not like negative. Like everybody's got something to work with. Absolutely. And it's yep. it's your comfort zone. It's it's what you've done in your life that you're comfortable with. Like that's your mental toughness. Totally. And, the, and, the, and you don't have to like jump into the 240-mile race across the desert. You just do something you're not quite comfortable with. If that's like – you know, I don't really like to run. And I'm a, I raise my hand for that. I hate running. But it's like, I'm just going to run a block around my house. Like, that's more than the walk that you usually yeah. do. So, yeah. like, that's, like, it's whether it's planned or unplanned hard events. That's yeah. where you grow your mental toughness. Like, you yeah. you can do some hard stuff intentionally, for sure. Mm-hmm. You can do, like, a, you can do a marathon. Like, I'm planning for this. It's going to suck. And when I do it, I'm going to – it'll adjust my perspective on what tough is. Or I can get into a situation where we killed a bull seven miles from the road. Now we have no choice. We have to get this thing out. You are committed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So whether it's planned or unplanned, both things will increase your mental toughness. And then you, and then that's your new comfort zone. Like I've, the first time we packed out an elk, it's kind of that unknown. It's like, man, I don't know how this is going to go. It could be really hard. Mm-hmm. And then you did it a couple of times. And then I packed out, you know, the bull behind me in this picture, he was eight and a half and he lived on grain in the North Dakota Badlands, no wolves, no grizzlies yeah. and lots of cornfields. He was big. And I did a front and a rear in one trip. Totally. Easy peasy because yep. of the training. And now it's like, I don't even, I wouldn't bat an eye to do a double pack out on a raghorn. You know, if you're doing like a mile back to the nearest road or trailhead and it's not like up and over ridges, like give me two, let's just get it done. Like this isn't that hard anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big guy. I mean, that helps. No, but I'm like, those are the scenarios that you've gotten in and those are the things that you've learned that you can handle. A cool thing to be able to do is like for someone who hasn't experienced that, it's like, that's why you part of the reason why you do this podcast, right? Is to share those yeah. experiences that people um, will hear that and they'll learn something from it and they'll be one step ahead of where you were when you were in that situation, right? So if you can share that and like a lot of our training, our programming that we do, it's like, we're just sharing this with you. It's your 40 minutes of the day, maybe an hour of the day within your workout. And that mm-hmm. is setting you up for success in these experiences that you're going to have, whether it's on a hunt um, or whether it's like, yeah, I'm like some sort of manual labor that some the, your, your buddy asked you to do and you hadn't done it for quite a while. It's like, oh, so yeah, I'll go do it. Like yeah. it's not hard, like well, landscape, you know, your whole entire yard with you. I'm like, oh, instead of going, oh, I'm going to be really sore. That's going to suck. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. You know, like, yeah. I like, just, Hey, I need to move my gun safe. <laughs> yeah. I need to, I need to move my gun safe. I'm like, yeah, I'll, all I worry about is crushed fingers and toes, but otherwise I'll be good. So, <laughs> Yeah. Which, um, we got some pretty cool stuff in the works, but I'm going to be getting a steelhead outdoors gun safe. I don't know if you've heard of them yet. No. I know Randy Newberg's got a couple there in Bozeman. They redesigned their gun safes. Um, it's a startup company here in Minnesota. I toured their shop, phenomenal people. But the cool thing is it's all of the security, yeah. all of the fire rating, everything yep looks exactly the same as your is your browning or your whatever gun safe you've got at home victory liberty champion yeah except it, you can take it apart from the inside panel by panel come on and so you can move every panel yourself 
by yourself with a two-wheel cart, like your average two-wheel cart, no special stair climbing cart. The heaviest panels, the door, it's 180 pounds. So you put that on a two-wheel cart and just go, you know? Oh my gosh. Amazing. Yeah, so no more no more broken fingers and broken toes and two yeah. cases of beer and a pizza to move your gun yeah. safe. You can just do it yourself. So yeah. mine should be done here very soon. And then I think we're working on some cool stuff to to partner with the podcast. So I'm really excited about that. Oh, that's awesome. No, that's a look yeah. in the for sure. But um, it's like the point is it's like your buddies that go, Oh like yeah. versus the buddies like, sure, what time? When and where? I'll be there. You know, that's the kind of like that preparedness. Yeah. Um, that you speak of. And, and so that's what I was going to ask you that now that we've been talking about it, we've really been, yeah. we've been really driving home the point on the mental toughness. Yep. Um, because it, 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 like, I assume we're on the same wavelength, like that is the most important part and the physical preparedness yep. leads into that. I think it's a lot easier to wrap your head around physical fitness and preparedness. What do I need to do? Um, so we'll touch on that after, but first, what do you guys do? And it's probably not common. I really don't think it would be common because I don't see it or hear it. But if a guy walks in, he's like, I just want to be tougher. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what do you mean? And they're like, just mentally tougher. Like, I just want to be tougher. Yeah. Like, I want to, like, not be shy away from hard situations. I want to be able to handle stress better. Like, I want to be able to look at a bull four miles away on a ridge and be like, let's go get him. Versus like, oh, man, that's a long ways away. Yeah. And, yeah. and you're like, what do I do? what do I do to get tougher? Like yeah. what would you guys do in that situation? A client comes in and be like, I just want to be tougher. Where do I start? Yep. But no, like that legitimately, that legitimately happens. And that's why too, we have the app honestly is because that happens enough that it's like, we need to, we need to provide this for more people. And so, um, the, the start of it is creating a habit. So whether it's a, just a small habit, a small change, um, and getting in a routine with a plan because having a plan is always going to benefit you and know that the plan is always going to change and it should change. Right. But having a plan in front of you is a path that you can follow. You don't have to think about that plan. You just go and do that plan. Um, and that's an important and really important step for anybody to take is like, I'm going to go do this. If you're Cameron Haynes and you're like, I want to run a 250 mile race, you better believe that there's a plan in place to go and run a 255, 250 mile race, right? Like it takes a lot of running day in and day out. The plan is to run and have time on your feet. Right. But there's yeah. like, some people are really analytical about it. Some people go by feel. It depends on your experience. So for someone saying, I want to get tougher, um, I'm a big proponent of our mountain tough methodology because I've done it for a really long time. I've known Dustin shoot since before we had kids. Um, and, uh, and once he started training Hunter specifically, I was at a point in my running career because I took the running path. I was like, that's where I, I want to do that because I don't want to be devastated when a bull goes over the ridge. Like legitimately, I remember that bull too. And I'm and going, that's too far. And I'm like, I never want to do that again. So my path was, I want to go running. I want to do ultra races, the Cameron Haynes influence, that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. I'm going to do that. That's one end of the spectrum. That is beneficial in some ways, but running, just running and getting on an ultra marathon plan um, does not benefit you in the mountains hunting the way you think it will. And that's why yeah. Dustin started Mountain Tough 
And for me running, I was like, why in the world am I sucking wind when I'm carrying a backpack now? Because I'm in the best shape of my life. Um, So as we were talking about the blend of mental toughness and physical strength, when it comes to physical preparedness and being tougher in the mountains, it's a blend of strength and endurance. Like you as as a mountain athlete, we'll call it, it's a blend of strength and endurance, not going to be the fastest runner, don't have to be the strongest guy in the gym, but there's a blend in there that works really, really well. And that blend for us um, is baked into our programming and it truly does make people tougher because when you go out and you have that experience and you go, wow, I feel really good now. You're like, I just put in that work. I packed out that bull and I'm ready tomorrow to pack a buddy's bull out um because you double down whatever those are all things that give you confidence because of your training that has made you tougher so i'm like and the mental toughness piece is something that we just subtly add in um and we're just having you do some of those simple movements the wall sits are the easiest thing that i can relate to most people is like why am i doing a wall sit i'm a grown adult like like but all of a sudden your legs are burning and if you were to flash back to you as a kid sitting on a wall for a minute, you could do it, right? Like you could do it as a kid. Well, what's wrong with me now that I'm a grown adult and I can't do this, right? So I'm like, I just think back to my, my childhood self. I'm like, I was tougher then, maybe a bit naive, but also I'm like in a line of kids and I'm not going to be the first one off that wall. You better believe I'm not going to be the first one off that wall because I'm, you know, a kid and I'm competitive for whatever reason. So, um, so that just in our programming, just those subtle little tricks that we've we've come up with um, and we've tested it here. We used to run public classes like, I mean, three, three classes a day, five days a week, um, just testing on these groups of the programs that we have now within the app so that we can produce a good product that helps you. Um, like I said, on the hunt, I'll say it again and again, and it'll help you day in and day out, too. So subtly through fitness and through sweating, you start becoming mentally tougher and then you start making the correlation. Um, And if I were to tie that back to like my running career, um, and I still love to run, but I also love to just feel good and move good and not have the aches and pains. So strength is a really big portion for me still running. But like I spent a lot of time on the trails thinking I had to get a lot of miles in and ultimately, it made me mentally tougher. And I would say if I was to have a conversation with Cam Haynes or ask him a question, he'd say the same thing. It's made me mentally tougher by grinding out those miles. That's not for everybody. Like, that's not necessarily a reality with time and space or even the desire to want to go do it. Like, you might want to do a mobility routine or you might want to dial up the strength, too, because that's something that's more interesting to you. That helps you build a habit. Um and that keeps you coming back to it because you look forward to it. Once you make a ha- something a habit, you're like, you can't pry that from my my cold, dead fingers. Like, I want to get up in the morning and do my morning routine and have my workout because I don't like the way I feel when I don't do it, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. That's, and that's that mental toughness piece. Um, so I think you can you can concentrate it into a smaller amount of time. You might then out of having a program and having a routine, find that, shoot, I do want to go run a hundred miles. 
go do it. <laughs> you know, you'd be like, don't even, yeah. don't even question it. Go do it. Like, cause you can, um, or I want to go, I want to get into CrossFit or I want to, you know, I set this goal for myself. Um, then I'm like, let it be a stepping stone and learn from those, um, experiences, um, and take them into other aspects of your life. So, yeah. yeah. I like it that you, you, you talk about, it's like multidisciplinary fitness or exercise mm -hmm. to be a good elk hunter. And, and, and I think by doing that and following that men, that mountain tough regimen, you're really forcing yourself. I mean, if you're going to follow it, no one's forcing you to do anything. No, no. If you're going to follow it. You're forcing yourself to probably do exercise. That isn't your wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. Like you talk, like you're a runner and before you were a runner, that wasn't in your wheelhouse either. So you did yeah. something you weren't comfortable with. You got that toughness from the running. I'm the opposite. Like I'm the heavyweights guy. Like yep. give me barbells and plates and I'm never going to grow my comfort zone. Cause I'm already rooted there. Yeah. Right. You're the F 18. That's going to fly by and, and pass me up and go kill the elk. And then I'm like the B 51. That's going to, you're going to, you're going to pack it off. No. <laughs> Right. We're the opposite spectrums. And so by only lifting weights, I'm not really getting any tougher mentally because I'm only doing what I love. Yep. If, if I were to go do that run, and even if I only got a mile or two in, you know, that's going to do more for my mental toughness than just Absolutely. adding another set of plates on the barbell. Yep. And, and that's kind of probably where you see the most gain in the mental toughness by following that program is doing all these different types of exercises that you don't want to do. Yeah. You know, that's why I love CrossFits because there's a whole bunch of shit in it that I don't want to do. Like, I don't like doing double unders. I don't like doing wall balls. I hate running. Like, yep. all this stuff I don't like doing, yet it's really like it's kind of the best one trick pony for getting ready for elk hunting because it, it does do everything. Like, yep. there's some long distance endurance, there's sprints. That's a huge one. I mean, we talked endurance and strength. Yep. In both things, there's conditioning, there's oxygen, like you need to be able to breathe and get your heart rate back down because yes. you're going to end up doing like wind sprints up a mountain. Mm -hmm. And it, yep. that's probably what you saw is like, why am I not doing this? So it's like, well, when you're doing your 26 mile run, you're probably just like this well-oiled machine, all systems firing. My heart rate's just cruising at 120. I'm breathing my, through my nose. My body weight, you know, like, yeah. 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 And then all of a sudden you start doing that uphill and all of a sudden all these little red alarms start going off, like heart rate spiking, oxygen's not going good. I can't breathe through my nose anymore. I'm sucking wind. Um, you know, my ankles, my calves are burning. And all of a sudden you start getting it like system error after system error. It's so true. Yeah. That's yeah. that, that's that, like that blend. I'm like, if you were, if you were to look at I say it sometimes. I'm like, if you could pie chart you as a human being, how much strength do you want? How much endurance do you want? How, how much fitness and how much mental toughness? Like you want to have a blend of both of those, yeah. right? And then from the fitness piece, that strength and endurance, like that's a lot of our programming um, is where you'll have that high intensity, that, that cardio, because we know if you train under that for a certain duration, then all of a sudden you're going to be able to calm your heart rate down and you're going to be able to execute on that shot. And it, and it happens over time. You're like, wow, I am calm in this situation so much faster than I thought I would be. Um, and that's because of your training. That's that style of training. And then you're strong and you're mobile in the other circumstances so that you're not getting up super sore you know, and crawling out of bed, let alone your sleeping bag in the mountains and being like, Oh, like, wow, that path yeah. really devastated me. Like, 
oh, I, I know my buddy might shoot one. I don't know how we're going to get it out. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> no, like wake up, go do it again. So exactly. Yeah. What do you think would be if you could just give like a real short list, like two or three things that would be the most impactful for a flatlander like myself or anyone listening yeah. that's, you know, diehard bow hunter, Midwest whitetail, but they're going out West this year. What are like a couple things that you think would have the most bang for their buck on getting ready for that Western hunt, whether it's mental toughness, physical toughness with what they got, you know, yeah. you know, you don't have a mountain to use. I'll go, I'll go right back to your legs. It's a gift to have them. You know, you got lungs too. Um, but, but you should do lunges like lunges are going to help everyone in the mountains regardless of where you live you don't need a hill all you need is the space to walk like um step forward step back do it again on the opposite leg um so whether forward or reverse lunges um and if you want to do them underweight you can but like throw your backpack on and feel that feel that shoulder burn push yourself because um it's it's amazing how frequently we don't do that movement like i'll walk all day long i can run i can jog all of that but to be able to have that for sure quad burn and then engage your hamstrings and your glutes is really really important if you have a backpack on um that's going to help you uh, understand like where your impingements are especially in your hips so that's going to go back to mobility so i'm like your lunges and your mobility are really, really important as a flatlander or anybody, regardless. Um, those two right there are just like, you, you can't go wrong. And those are the ones you don't want to do. Like you just yeah. don't want to, you don't want to do lunges. Like you'd rather do push-ups or burpees or whatever, but um, you can't go wrong with lunges. And then that rucking, if you want to put that weight on too, like it's really valuable. Um, okay. And if you can, if you can step up and step down off of something, both like forward and back and laterally, um, yeah. that's really helpful too, because that's what you are going to experience. You're going to be walking up stuff and you're going to be coming down. So we'll just say a lot of times, you know, have a box, have a cooler, you know, um, and step up over that um, so that you are understanding the movement and the controlled step down too. Like you want to be able to control that weight stepping down. So um, those would be the big ones. I'm like, anybody can do that. You can put a routine, do, you know, a hundred lunges and a hundred step ups and you're going to feel better. Like no doubt. So. Awesome. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Um, for anyone that's looking for like, you know, I don't really want to get an expensive gym membership just to go out West. Yeah. What do I do from home? I think everything you said, you could find a way to do it from home steps yep. most houses have steps most houses have space to do lunges totally. if you're going to go out west you're going to find a pack go um here's a quick tip for free you can spend a hundred dollars on a 55 or a 45 pound plate that you would find in a gym yep. or you can go to your local farm and fleet fleet farm whatever egg store and go into the livestock section and go buy a bag of like barn lime yep. which is what the cows use for grit so they don't slip on the cement and that's like six bucks for 50 pounds. Six and bucks. And you just duct tape the heck of that, duct tape the heck out of that so it doesn't cut and rip and make a mess and throw it in your pack. I got four of them in my garage right now. Throw it in your pack. I'm like, I'm, yeah, you have a rock sitting around somewhere. Throw it in your pack. Yeah. You. I'm like, yeah. Hey, it really is. But even something as simple as I'm going to go to the hardware store and I'm going to buy that bag or those that two bags lie, like 
that's a step in the right direction of saying, I'm going to yeah. do that because then I'm going to go home and I'm going to look at them when I'm not using them. I'm going to be like, I should be using them. Right. And th those yeah. are the steps of starting to make that a habit and starting to do that. So, um, there's one in my, uh, there's one in my mystery ranch all strapped in right now. It's sitting in my garage so I can just put that pack on and there's 50 pounds right off the bat. I know totally. I'm like, don't and make sure you duct tape them. Cause if you don't, <laughs> your zippers won't like it. <laughs> so Oh um, yeah, I duct taped. I just I went I went all the way around just yeah. to make sure, and they've lasted. I've had these um, for four or five years now. That's sweet. So if yeah. my six dollar investment and like it's the the cheapest way and the easiest way to get weight there is. I mean, sure you can like save milk jugs and fill them with water, but like that it's so tight and compact and dense, and it just is so simple to do i almost prefer it over a plate because it's also kind of the shape of an elk quarter yeah you know it's lumpy it's kind of soft it moves a little bit yeah it's nice to figure your pack out too and figure out like yep where does it yeah. need to be how does it need to be adjusted um yeah it's really good the plate i think would be like not a bad you can't go wrong but it's probably going to give you an artificial perspective on how easy it is to balance weight because it's so close to your center of yeah. gravity where you, you kind of want something to be out a little bit to know what it's going to feel like. Cause that elk quarter is going to be out there a little bit. Yeah. It's It's, it's dead weight too. Like it is, yeah. it's a dead weight. It is awkward uh, too, especially the bigger, the bigger, the bull, the more awkward that load's going to get. It's like whether you bone it out or whether you take a quarter, like it's, it's yeah. awkward. So, so yeah. yeah. Well, before, um, before we wrap up here, Weston, I appreciate you coming on and I want to yeah. give you a chance to, to share the socials, the website, the app, give listeners a chance to, to connect with you guys and mountain tough anywhere you'd like to send them. And we will put the links to all of those places you mentioned in the show notes below yeah. For, yeah. for listeners. Um, yeah. Mountain tough, mountain tough fitness. Um, find us on the socials at mountain tough underscore fitness. Um, we are the fitness app, so you can go to mountaintough.com and you can check it out and try a trial. Like if you're, if you do need that accountability and you're like, I want to, I want to do that. I want to make a habit out of it. Um, we're there to help you. Uh, we've got a lot of different programs for you to pick from regardless of your fitness level. We want to, we want to work with you and help you in your journey. Ultimately we want to have it be a successful hunt, but we want to help you in, in your day-to-day -day life more than anything too. So um so yeah check out the app you can always do a 14 day free trial you know no no risk at all um just just see what you think um and then look up our podcast too mountain, mountain tough fitness um it's across all platforms um give those a listen like you know just like this one it's like hey just sharing cool stories it's fun to meet somebody and then have something in common which is hunting but there's so much more than that too so I'm just trying to, to get people's stories out there and hopefully meet people where they're at too and learn something from every circumstance we're in. So, yeah. Awesome. There you have it, folks. Go get connected and check out the Mountain Tough socials, the website, get the app. Go get get Mountain Tough. Uh, yeah. Get ready for this fall. Get get Mountain Tough. It's it's not too late, honestly. Like, yeah, go go do something. Do lunges. If nothing yeah. else, do do a hundred lunges a day, and then you'll be you'll be in good shape. But if you want to get on a on a program um, and help carry it through right into hunting season, and then after, we we got you covered when it comes to that. So awesome! Well, thanks for being here again, Weston, and thank you for listening, folks.